This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Coming up on today's future award-winning Mirandalytics podcast, two-year anniversary episode of the podcast, by the way, I have WGR 550 Sports Talk radio host Chris the Bulldog Parker. We talk about his life and his career. Bulldogs legit. One of my favorites. Great chat. Very candid one, too. I had that for you in just a few minutes. Before that, I want to let you know that today's show is being supported by 26 Shirts. At 26 Shirts, a different Buffalo-themed design is sold every two weeks. Then that shirt is gone. Here's the cool part. For every single shirt that they sell, a donation is made to that specific campaign each and every single time, every single shirt sold. Since 2013, their designs have managed to raise and donate several hundred thousand dollars. Incredible. Del Reed, his crew, they do such an amazing job enriching the lives of so many people. It's great to see. Not to mention, these are outstanding looking design t-shirts. They're very comfortable, very sporty to wear. I have several of these shirts, wear them out all the time. Head on over to 26shirts.com and see what cause needs you this week. And on that note, let's do it. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host. Patrick Moran. All right, what's going on, everyone? How you doing? What's up? Episode 196, Moranalytics Podcast. Thank you, everyone out there, for continuing to listen. Download the podcast. It means the world to me. I got the Bulldog, Chris Parker from WGR 550. He's going to be my guest today. I'll play that for you in just a minute. Before that, though, I just got to say real quick today, very meaningful day for me personally. Two years now doing this podcast, two-year anniversary episode here. And when I first started this podcast, honestly, I really had no idea what to expect. I had a vision of what I wanted to do. I know that my goal was to get people on the podcast and just have these long-form conversations with them about their lives or career giving fans an opportunity to know more about them beyond just what they were known for. And I also knew that I was going to have Sal Capaccio book for the first episode and Tim Graham for the second. I talked to them before launching the podcast. I wanted to make sure those guys are going to be my first two guests. But after that, I had no clue. Didn't know who was going to be able to do the show, who I'd be able to get. Didn't have a real direction in terms of knowing how it would go, how people would react to it. And I'll tell you what, over these last two years, I've gotten an opportunity to interview so many people that I like and respect. And it's been a lot of fun, man. Game changing for me. I'm very, 
very thankful to every single person that's taken their time and done this podcast. And of course, I'm even more thankful to everyone out there who has been listening to it. These last two years have been great, life changing for me. And hopefully, these next two years are even going to be better. I do have some changes coming to this podcast very soon. I'm really excited about it, but I'm going to get more into that another time because as for today, very excited to have the Bulldog on the pod. Now, this is a guy that's been in the game for a long time, someone I'm a big fan of for years and years on WGR. He's been a voice of reason, I think, anyway, for Buffalo sports fans. Very level-headed dude, but passionate at times when the occasion calls for it. I think he's one of those sports guys that's liked and respected by everyone around him. Anyway, we have a really good chat about his life, his career, his son's hockey career, how he got started in the business, so much more. Really good stuff. And here it is. Again, not going to waste any more time. Let's just get down to business. My chat with the Bulldog, Chris Parker. All right. My guest today is a longtime sports talk radio host at WGR 550. He's teamed up with Mike Shope on the afternoon show since 2003 and is one of my Buffalo sports media favorites. The Bulldog, Chris Parker. What's going on, Chris? How you doing? I'm great, Patrick. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on this uh, historic edition of your podcast. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I'm excited to have you on. Perfect guest for my two-year anniversary episode. By the way, one of only two guests from two people from WGR that I've yet to have on. So pretty pumped about this one. Good. Well, I don't know what took you so long. I didn't hear all the fun. <laughs> well, I, t- I like to spread it out. And I wanted to save you for kind of a special occasion and your, your buddy Mike your, your partner is the only one that I've yet to have on maybe I'll reach out to him sometime in the summer kind of spread okay. it out a little bit but anyway I want to keep the, the the format the same and you have the same style that I usually have on with my guests and that's it's more about giving fans a chance to know a little more about you beyond you know the three or four hours a day that you're on the air in your sports take so let's kind of like go back to the beginning a little bit now you're born and raised in Buffalo what area exactly I grew up in West Seneca oh okay uh, yeah, we lived on, on Harlem near Bellwood when I was uh, real little, like kindergarten up to second grade. And then in third grade, we moved. It seemed like really far. It was really just over over the hill on Harlem Road, over the tracks by Indian Church. So we really moved like about a mile and a half, but it seemed really far to me when I was, you know, eight. Uh, <laughs> and then that, my parents still live in that house uh, in the Winchester area of West Seneca. So, um, that, you know, I went to high school uh, at West Seneca West and graduated from there in 83. Hmm. Now, as a kid, obviously you're a big Buffalo sports fan, sort of a lifelong love affair for you. What were some of the players in, in the sports that you liked the most? Uh, well, I, we, you know, we, we had a great, I think a lot of kids that grew up in suburban Western New York had probably similar upbringing. Like we, you know, we had just streets full of kids so um you know we played we played everything you know there were three or four kids including me that had the uh, garage mounted basketball hoop uh the street was always available for football or hockey uh and then uh in the spring and summer we'd ride our bikes up to the playground at winchester elementary and play baseball there um so we really we did it all um I gravitated towards hockey. Eventually I started playing when I was, I don't know, maybe third or fourth grade probably. 
And, um, you know, hockey was my, was my favorite, you know, Danny Gare and Jim Schoenfeld and Jerry Korab and those guys, um, you know, those early seventies teams really made an impression on me. Um, you know, I was 10 years old when they played the Flyers in the Stanley cup finals in 75. So, um, heartbreak came early. Uh, (laughs) yeah. And, you know, the bills in that time, uh, of course, OJ was there and OJ was, a you know, I loved OJ. Um, and that's, that's a whole nother story of, uh, tragedy and, and really heartbreak for fans. Sure. Um, but, um, so, you, you know, you had, you had that to plug into with the bills, but there really wasn't any sort of on-field success until Chuck Knox got here <clears throat> in, uh, and, and they, they had those teams in 80 and 81 that were really good. Uh, but, um, you know, uh, that's pretty much it like that, that those 70 savers, and, uh, and OJ were really, and I love Joe Ferguson too. My dad and I used to argue about Joe Ferguson. I argue is probably too strong, but like he, he didn't like that Fergie would hang his head after he threw an interception. So he'd be critical of Fergie and I always kind of defended him. Um, so, you know, the, the seeds were planted early for me to be, uh, debating the merits of uh, quarterback play. <laughs> I was going to ask you when you were growing up, like watching on TV or listening on the radio, who kind of made you, whether again, whether you're watching or listening, it made you think that, you know, maybe this is something I might want to do when I grow up, get on the air and, and talk sports. Did you have any very early influences? No, no, not, no, not at all. Um, I, I, that was not, that was not a fuse that got lit until I was uh, really in my mid twenties. Honestly, like I'm not, um, I'm not the guy that practiced doing the play by play. You know, outside of you know playing in the driveway, you know, and, you know, and, and and mimicking calls from games and whatever. But I I, I was never thinking about uh, any kind of a, a career or even had a passing interest really, uh, in it. Like I liked sports. I liked watching, you know, Jim McKay on the wide, wide world of sports. And, um, you know, e- even like Chris Schenkel on bowling, like we, we watched yeah. a lot of sports in my house, but I never really thought about d- doing something with it until I heard sports talk radio in New York city. Uh, the only two years that I did not live here, I lived in, the New Haven, Connecticut area, um, mostly in New Haven. There were a few months where I was uh, elsewhere in Connecticut, but that was around the time that Mike and the Mad Dog launched on WFAN in New York, and someone that I was working with sort of turned me on to that, and that's when the wheels started turning uh, about like, hey, there might be a place for someone like me doing that. You know, I never thought about being the polished guy standing there on TV, you know, introducing uh, today's event or, you know, doing play-by-play, but just talking and riffing uh, about sports in, in like, very much a, a bar stool kind of way Yeah, uh, was very, it, that, like, a light went on for me when that when I heard, you know, that being done on the radio. And, you know, not that I hadn't been exposed to it prior to leaving here, you know, Stan Barron was doing a show on WBEN. Eventually, Murph took that over. So I'd heard some of it, but it was really New York that lit the fuse for me. Well, going back to your teenage years at that time, what did you have 
aspirations to do if you can remember oh man i i, I don't know I, I i ended up sort of defaulting to uh food service management um when i got out of high school and i i don't i don't know man like i was pretty directionless i i think if i if i could look back at it now I think my parents were probably pretty worried about me um, <laughs> because I, I, I didn't, I mean, they never really expressed that and I haven't had this talk with them, but I didn't really, uh, I wasn't really striving towards much of anything. You know, I was, I was sort of, uh, you know, really into, into music. And uh, when I turned like 17, 18 years old, like that sort of took me, away from sports and more into like, you know, downtown and like a, a punk rock nightclub scene kind of life. Right. And I just really didn't have, I didn't have a good plan, man. Like if, if one of my kids were to be on that track, um, you know, when they get to be 18, 19 years old, um, it's going to freak me the hell out. Cause I, I really didn't have, I didn't have a great direction. I just, I chose something that might be easy. I had a job in a pizza place, so I'm going to learn how to run a pizza place. And eventually, like, I did that. And, like, that, those were good, fun years, but it was not, like, a real career-building career type of uh, mentality. Well, I, I think it's really fascinating, as I talk to more sports media people, how paths are so different. You have, like, guys I've talked to, like, Joe Biscaglia or like Tyler Dunn, they knew at five, six years old that that's what they wanted to do. And they started practicing. Conversely, guys like yourself who were, you admitted, directionless at that time as a young teenager, uh, Matt Perino got kicked out of college. He flunked out of college at one point. You know what I mean? So it's not like all roads leading the sports media, whether it's being a writer on TV or on the radio, they're not always the same. The paths are kind of carved differently. And to me, that I, that really fascinates me. Yeah. Well, eventually, you know, the, the direction came out of necessity eventually. Like I was, I was out East for a couple of years and, you know, part of that was a relationship with a woman and that kind of soured. And by kind of, I mean, it went up totally in flames. <laughs> like, so I needed to do something. And, you know, this is where being rudderless from the time you're 18 or 19 until you're. Uh, in your early twenties comes back to bite you in the ass. I, I, I needed a plan. And at that point I just sort of connected what I was listening to on the radio there with, all right, right. All right. Here it is. Right. Cliche city. I'm going to move back into my parents' basement and I'm going <laughs> to go to college. So I, I did, I moved back. I enrolled at Buff state and went to school for broadcasting with a plan to actually, at that point, the plan was I wanted to have this gig, you know, in a few years, I somehow managed to pull it off. I was going to say, now you mentioned you went to Buff State for college, you worked at a pizzeria and you started out part-time on a call-in show at WBN. How did the WBN thing, how did that opportunity open up for you to begin with? Well, I was, I, I, I decided my, my final three credits at, at Buff State were set up to be an internship in the summer of 94. So um, I'd already done, like, the previous winter or the winter before that, I did an internship at WGR, 
uh, on Franklin Street, the old studios they had uh, downtown. And, um, you know, I enjoyed that. And so the plan was to do one at a TV station in the summer of 94. And at some point before fully committing to that, I had the thought that I knew the Bills radio contract was leaving WGR and going to WBEN. And my thought was, if that's anything like a lot of businesses, they're going to probably realize somewhere in the middle of starting that up that they need people to do stuff. And so I thought, if I get in there now, maybe that can turn into something when college is done. Like it can, the internship can turn into a job. Right. Uh, and so I interned with Howard Simon uh, in the summer of 94 and, you know, covered roller hockey games uh, and like just different, different stuff. Um, and, and, and mostly worked, I like wrote sports cast for Howard and cut tape, uh, which was a very different job in 1994. Than <laughs> I, I mean, I don't even know how to work the editing equipment. Right. In 2020. Um, it's all, you know, all digital, but, um, yeah, so I, I did. And sure enough, uh, you know, the internship ended and Howard liked having me around to help him out. And so I started doing that part time. And was you know still working at the pizza place and managed to hang around long enough uh, to impress management there. So as part of them getting wrapped up and rolling with having the bills on the station, they wanted to increase their sports presence. At the time, Howard had a show called One on One Sports, which is what what it was when Murph did it. And that was from six to nine. And then they, they put me on from nine to 11 after Howard. And that started in the fall of 95 that eventually Howard went to empire and started on fan TV and they needed someone to like do the whole thing. And they interviewed a few different people and tried out a few different people and eventually just gave me the job. So I went from not like being on the radio at all to having five hours a night to fill opposite a Sabres game. Uh, <laughs> I remember that. That's the era where I first started to know who you were. I remember that growing up. I mean, I'm a little bit, I'm not a lot younger, but I'm a little bit younger, but I do remember that era. I remember Howard going to Empire Sports, and then I remember you becoming full-time in WN, and that's when I first really started to learn more about you. And I remember reading articles and hearing things about the sports fan, because you were first and foremost. And I think that's been your case for your career. You've always been known first and foremost as a sports fan. I, I remember that pretty well. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I appreciate that. It is a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I, I think about it now and it's, you know, it, it was pretty ballsy of them to just sort of give me that much air, Yeah, you know, but, it, I mean, it was invaluable, like to have the opportunity, uh, you know, I, I'm sure I, I don't have, well, I shouldn't say I don't have it. I, I, I'm not sure where stuff is. I might have some stuff that is from that era. Um, my guess is a lot of it would make me cringe if I listened to it <laughs> now. Um, but there's no better way to figure out how to do, you know, most any job, but especially this job 
than to actually have to do it, you know, like professionally. Um, So that was quite a learning experience. Like there were times where, you know, we just, we just sort of felt like we could eventually do almost whatever we wanted. So like in a way it was a little bit like pirate radio, you know, like we're, we're, we're going to talk about Motley Crue tonight. We're going to talk about Motley Crue tonight. You know, (laughs) this is what we're going to do. Um, and you know, it was way before Twitter and stick to sports and all that sort of stuff. So it, it really just gave me an opportunity to just extemporaneously talk about whatever came to mind. And, you know, I, like I said, some of it I'm sure was utterly disastrous, but some of it I think was really fulfilling and probably really fun to listen to. And I learned a lot about how to do this job um, just by trial and error. Yeah. You learned your, to hone your craft there. Now, what led you to go into WGR? We'll talk about you and Chope in a few minutes. I know you started out there, though, on the morning show with Tom Bowerly, correct? Yeah, that's right. That was just simply, they were, uh, you know, that, that's when Entercom came into the picture. That's the company that still owns us now. Uh, we had, when I was at BEN, it was locally owned. Uh, they went through a series of, I mean, I can't even remember the names of the companies. I feel like River City Broadcasting was one, and definitely Sinclair was another. Uh, but there was there was even another one in between there. But anyway, eventually, Entercom bought up these stations in Buffalo, and they bought GR and BEN uh, together, and decided to make GR all sports and BEN all news. So they needed to find a place for me. So they moved me. You know, because Coach was still on GR in the afternoons, and I guess they weren't really ready to give him a co-host uh, until they brought Mike in to work with him. Right. Uh, but so I got, yeah, I got, I got paired up with Tom, uh, and um, you know, for me, I was just, it's morning radio. You know, this is going to mean more money, and you know, it really didn't for a long time. But you know, it was, it was a great opportunity. I, you know, just like any business, you got to be in. The, the you know in, in the prime spots to make a career out of it and you know it's awfully hard in a market like buffalo anyway i think to make a career out of hosting nighttime sports talk yeah. um so uh moving the morning for me was like you know i didn't really i it, it didn't mean anything to me really uh who i was going to work with it was merely get me on in a slot where i'm going to have exposure to more of an audience and an opportunity to, you know, make a living doing this. Now you've been with show in the afternoons since 2003. You don't last yeah. that long on air with somebody without having some good chemistry. Did it come quickly for you guys and naturally, or did it take quite a bit of time to develop? What were your early thoughts working with Mike show? Uh, it, it was definitely at least good to start. You know what I mean? Like it, it, you know, just like anything, there's going to be, uh, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a growth period and, and reaching a level of, uh, comfortability with one another and, and trust. And I think that that came, that came relatively quickly, but you know, it, 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 it does take time. Like we're obviously here, you know, all, you know, 17, 18 years in, we're at a very different place now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, from a, from a relationship standpoint, friendship standpoint, um, and just knowing 
what one another is going to do or wants to do with a certain subject. So, yeah, I mean, it, it is, it, it really is fantastic. I mean, I, when they proposed that idea to me, you know, I remember having a meeting with, with Tim Wenger, who is still there and being asked like, well, what do you, what do you really want? Like, what, what are you looking to do? And I said, I want to get paired up with somebody that I'm going to be able to work with for a good long run. You know, I want to have some stability and a chance to like really grow into something. And uh, lo and behold, like this, this has worked. What's a typical work day like for you guys at the radio station? Now you go on air weekdays at three o'clock. How do you come up with like your talking points for that day's show? You figure out who your guests are going to be, stuff like that. Is it a lot of planning involved? Or are you one of those guys who shows up 10 minutes before, throws the headphones on and says, let's go? I don't quite, uh, nor does Mike, show up 10 minutes before. But there is not, this is where, there used to be more planning. There used to be more sitting together and like, what do you want to do? And there'd be meetings with program directors. Okay, well, you know, what subjects today? Uh, where are you going to take it? You know, what's the next level of the conversation and that sort of stuff. Now, after as long as we've been together, I think most days, both of us know what the subject should be. Like, does this feel like a day where people are going to want to talk about the Sabres? No. Okay. Let's, and you know, that can be challenging at a time of the year like now, but there's so much interest in football that you can almost always find something locally to do with, with the, with football that pertains to the bills that will, you know, hopefully be interesting and entertaining, but we do not, I, I actually like for Mike to not tell me what he is exactly going to do because you get a genuine reaction and response out of me as opposed to sitting and formulating. Like I already know how I feel about everything that's happening. So there's not going to be any real surprises, right? but I'd rather not know directly exactly how we're going to talk about something until we start talking about it. So there's not, there's not a lot of, uh, you know, writing on a dry race board and stuff like we just, it, it, it can be pretty, uh, 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 pretty free form. A lot of continuity at WGR. You guys have been together for a long time. Of course, Jeremy and Howard in the morning have been together for a long time. How important to you is continuity? And I'm sure in part because you guys have been together for so long that you form very personal relationships. Now, obviously, Jeremy's went through some awful tragedies over this year, and it's been you know the outpouring of support, obviously, from you guys first and foremost, but just from Twitter and from fans all over has been, you know, very emotional to even to this day, yeah. look at some of those tweets, but you guys are, I know this sounds like a cliche thing to say, but you guys have very good relationships. They're very close. Well, sure. I mean, um, you know, I interned with Howard, right? Like I said, so I've known mm -hmm. him since I started doing this, you know, and Mike and I have been together. Jeremy worked, he did updates on the morning show when I worked with Bowerly. Now we 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 were not real tight then because you know there was there there's, there was well there there still is there's an age gap but you know the age gap matters less when the age gap is say 35 and 55 uh, than it does when it's 25 and 40 you know what I mean like it's just it's just different right uh, 
So over the last, I don't know how long it's been now, uh, Jeremy and his wife Molly have become like members of our family. Like they, they just, um, you know, for a while before Jer got married, you know, he didn't have family here. His mom was in Auburn, New York. And so for holidays, we started having, he, he would come here for Thanksgiving or Easter Sunday breakfast. Uh, eventually that just sort of, I, I sort of equated to, it's a, it's a very dated reference, but if you, if you remember uh, happy days, and, and like the first episodes of Happy Days, Fonz, the Fonz was like a, he was not a cornerstone character. Yeah. He had, he had like the light colored jacket. He didn't even have the black leather jacket. Yep. He was just sort of like this extra guy, but apparently they must've realized that like the audience was digging that character. So he became like a regular and eventually a cornerstone piece of the show. Uh, Jeremy, uh, sort of has done that with our family. Like he was around and then eventually he was just like, you know, he's like a, he's like a brother, <laughs> um, which is really nice. Like, I really appreciate that friendship. I'll tell you what, I don't want to get off track from our interview here, but this kind of leads into something I'm going to talk about with Paul Hamilton, which we'll get to in a few minutes, but there could be misperceptions of people. And honestly, I didn't know Jeremy well and kind of, I'm going back about a year and a half ago. I thought he could be a little bit pricky, but anyway, I reached out to him, never had a conversation with him in my life. Said, man, I'd love to have you on my podcast. He didn't hesitate. Within two seconds, he was in. We had a nice hour and 15-minute conversation. He could have been cooler, man. I really respect that guy a lot and feel for him with everything that he's been through. But anyway, let's get yeah. back. Uh, no, he, he's, he's uh, I mean, he's, uh, he's aces. He really is. Yeah. Let's get back to our chat here. Now, besides being knowledgeable with sports, that's an obvious part of being a sports talk show radio host. I imagine a big part of your job is having the temperament to be able to deal with some unruly fan calls from time to time. Now I have a podcast and I get to talk to professionals like you, so I don't have to really worry about that stuff. I'm sure a couple phone calls here and there don't really bother you, but maybe when things are not going good with the team and you get hours, if not days in a row of really crappy phone calls, that's got to weigh on you a little bit. I guess my question is, being knowledgeable first and foremost is the biggest part of your job, but having the right attitude and temperament to be able to handle sports talk fans who call into your show, that's an underrated aspect of your job too, isn't it? Uh, I, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, I, yeah, I guess so. I, I don't, you know, I, I think the, the thing about calls to show is like, it, certainly there is the aspect of it that like we are a venue for them to vent uh, and to get their opinions heard. And like, you know, so there is some level of responsibility to sort of adhere to that. Um, but th there is also, to me, uh, it should be obvious that it is a show. So there is a show to be done. Like we are there to ultimately keep an audience and get ratings and entertain people. So the, the, the person who sort of goes off the rails or causes us to go off the rails is all kind of a part of that, you know, like it's a show. So if, if you call in and are either trying to, or unintentionally you're, you're about to get blasted, I think people should realize that that's like, we're cognizant of that. Like the, it, it's, it's a, it's a part of the performance. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Like, like 
if something is nonsensical and disastrous on the air, we have to make something out of that. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes it's best. And I think we've all, we've learned this, Mike and I, I think certainly have over the years. Sometimes it's best to just say, okay, thanks for the call and just move on. <laughs> you know, you know, you, you don't want to embarrass somebody needlessly, but there are moments where it is required. Like you've called the radio show and you've made a fool of yourself. And you know what I have to do now? I, I have to make sure everybody out there knows it because that's what we do. And, you know, that, can that go too far? Uh, would I like to have some things back over the years that I've said to people? Sure. You know, but ultimately it, it is like you are entering into a contract with me or us when you pick up the phone and call us. And if you don't have your, you know, what together, when you do it, you run the risk of being that day's show, if you will. Right. And I think another underrated aspect of being on the radio is being able to have the ability to leave the stress of the world, so to speak, at home before you go on the air because you're live. Again, I'll reference this podcast. This is being taped right now. If something happened, if I got in a squabble with my wife or something was going on with my job and I was annoyed, I could have called you and said, hey, can we do this interview tomorrow? Because it's not airing for a couple of days. You don't have yeah. that luxury, man. No matter what's going on in your world, your wife, your kids, friends, anything going on, when you get on the air, you're live. You got to be on your game. Is there pressure with that? Or maybe not as much now because you've been around and you're used to it. But was there a time when you used to feel a lot of pressure being live on the air? Um, I mean, there have been peaks and valleys, you know, I mean, you know, everybody goes through stuff. So, you know, there've definitely been some patches of my life where I wasn't real eager to go be the guy on the radio full of energy and, you know, funny or, or whatever. Um, but yeah, you, you know, just like anything you learn to, you learn to deal with it. And, you know, in certain ways, uh, it can be a positive because it, it can pull you out of, you know, the mess and, you know, not to say you want to make a habit of avoiding the issues that might be going on in your life. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but it, 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 it can stop you. It really, it, it requires you to stop dwelling on, uh, you know, well, no, what, what just happened with this or that or, or whatever and focus on the gig and do the gig and, uh, you know, you come out the other end of that four hours later and you might feel a little better about everything. Like, you know, just sort of, it, it's, it is a long, deep breath. Uh, in other words, like if you're tense or upset about something at two o'clock, um, at seven o'clock, you haven't thought about it, hopefully too much for the last few hours. Yeah. And that allows you to find some new footing and a new perspective, uh, and maybe ultimately can be helpful. Um, to solving the problem or dealing with the problem in maybe a better way than you would have at three o'clock if you hadn't had to stop thinking about it. Um, so like in that way, it can be good, you know, but you know, we, we, I think we all take a certain amount of pride in being able to do that, uh, and put things aside. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it definitely can be challenging. I mean, you referenced, uh, what, what Jeremy and, and his wife have been through and, you know, we're so close to them. Uh, you know, th there've been a, a few weeks here where it's been 
it's been tough yeah, I... to get in the right headspace. Um, but, you know, we did, and here we are. You've grown up a Buffalo sports fan, been one your whole life, unapologetic about it. Sal Capaccio, exact same boat. I feel like that's kind of what makes you guys more popular on sports talk show radio, more relatable to fans who listen because you've experienced, you know what it's like to be a Buffalo sports fan essentially your whole life. Does it bother you ever when maybe a sports writer or somebody whose job it is to be quote unquote objective and not care about who wins or loses a game, their jobs to cover a team. Does it bother you when they might launch criticism at WGR for something like that? Because you guys, to at least some extent, again, unapologetic, lifelong Buffalo sports fans. Sometimes that shows up in the talk, which is supposed to. But does that bother you, the criticism sometimes when you hear that? Not not even a little, no. Um, no, it really doesn't. I, You know, I think, like anything, you just sort of learn, uh, you learn to deal with it. Um, I, I, You know, I, and there's more of it now, obviously, with, uh, with, with social media, um, you know, there, there's, you can be exposed to a lot. Uh, you know, I think as a younger broadcaster learning how to do this, I think, I think maybe for me, it's fortunate that I came up when I did, uh, because sure. Like Alan Pergament would write things about you in the Buffalo news and that Saturday sports on air column. And that would, that would sting. Like if it was, if it was sharp, uh, and, and even correct, it would be like, oh, man, well, I'm not very good at this, right? And, like, my mom, I know, would be like, oh, like, every time I, I, something would be critical about me in the paper, right? I think my mom would think I'm about to get fired or something. <laughs> and I'd be like, mom, it's, it's, it's okay. It's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. Um, but now I, I just, um, you know, we've been at it long enough. I'm confident enough uh, in what we do and how we do it that I don't really let any of that into my stream of consciousness to a, to a point where I, I respond to it or let it uh, affect how I'm going to go about doing what I'm going to do. I just sort of let it, I just sort of let it roll. Whereas like, I think now like younger guys, like I think we've got some talented guys that are coming up behind us. Our, our producer, Sneaky Joe DiBiase, does the nighttime show. Nate Geary has been filling in uh, in the afternoons and mornings now after being just a weekend guy. And I think those guys are, are talented and, 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 and can be really good at this and already are good at it. But they're dealing with a lot more uh, feedback that I don't think is real helpful than I did when I was learning how to do it. Um, so I think that it's more challenging for those guys, at least I would think it is. Maybe it's not because they're just used to social media being what it is. But I, I, I don't, like, you know, stuff, stuff that's going on and, uh, you know, writers taking shots at the station for this. I, I, I sort of feel like at this point we are what we are. We are established. And if you're coming for us, it's because you need the light that we have to shine on you. And I'm not going to really give you it. <laughs> you know, like you can, you can uh, chase after it. And maybe some people will cave in and, and, and shine the light on you. I'm mostly going to ignore it because I, I don't I don't think there's any any real reason to validate it. Well, I'll tell you what, man, I got your back because last episode that just aired, I, I'm just going to say it, John Worrell, I went after him. You know, what, what he did, he's 
tweeting at 2.30 in the morning going after Joe DiBiase has football opinions that got nothing to do with the Sabres and he just makes it into a WGR attack. That's kind of what I'm getting at, though. It's I hate it. And I'm generally a very nice person. I got nothing to gain by being mean to anybody. I have a podcast that's very largely based on getting guys like yourself to come on my show and talk about your life and your career. That's my podcast. But I, I keep seeing some people out there who just continuously attack WGR and I don't like it. And I know in part, you know, you have the Bills and the Sabres. That's great for you guys. I feel like you got to apologize for having the Bills and the Sabres. You get more access to players and coaches, the general managers, stuff like that. Doesn't it? Well, you just kind of said you get past that stuff a lot easier than maybe some of the younger guys like Nate and Joe do. Yeah, well, look, I don't want to speak for them and say whether or not they're struggling. You know, I, I don't know that they're struggling with it, but I know they're engaged in it in a way that I just am not ever going to bother with. Um, and, you know, they choose to do that. And, and, and I don't know, for all I know, that might fuel them and, and help them in some way. Um, I just know that, it you know, it's not. For me, I, I guess, I, you know, I was maybe, maybe they're secure, more secure at a young age than I was. I think that kind of stuff could have really eaten me up when I was younger. Yeah. Uh, I didn't have to deal with it, and I'm grateful for that. Now, I mean, I don't know. Did you, did you see the, did you see the Larry David, Michael K clip? Yeah. Uh, right, right. Larry David's like, you know, um, you know, alienate yourselves. And then you know, <laughs> at the end of it, I don't give up. Like, that's basically where I am. I don't give up. <laughs> you know, I, whatever, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere, you know, until, until the company takes me out back, you know, I'm here and like, I'm not really going to worry about any other bullshit. Do you hate being lumped into one category? For an example, half of years ago, the tank, it was made out like everybody from the Buffalo news was anti-tank and everybody from WGR was pro tank. I'm not going to go down that road again with talking about the tank. Cause Oh, I, I just hate doing that. Yeah. My point is it's not true. So like Sal, for example, Sal, Sal was not pro or uh, anti, or he was not pro take, I should say, not at all. Right. I was, uh, I was conflicted pro. Um, like I, I wanted the reward, but I hated, I mean, hated going through it. Like I did not, like Mike always says how, you know, the, the, that was so, it was so, it was so interesting. And, and I mean, he's not wrong because it was, I mean, it was an interesting sort of experiment, you know, on a fan base uh, to have people wanting the team to lose uh, and that conflicting with how you have grown up rooting for your sports team. I, I, I had to, I had to sort of, I, I had to like stop going to games is what I had to do. I, I mean, I, I just was really, there, there was, I don't know. I, we've told the story on the air a few times, but that, that season, like, so the 14, 15 season, that results in Jack Eichel at the end. We're, we're all at one of the early games of the season. It's a Columbus game on a weeknight. And the Sabres are up 2-1 to one pretty late. And Brian Gianta took a penalty. And we were all kind of sitting together. Like Jeremy was on my right. And, I, I you know, all through the night, we knew what was going on. Like, they... They want they want the Sabers to lose. They're they're actively rooting for the Sabers to lose, and Gianta takes this penalty right, and Jeremy like fist pumped, and I and I mean this honestly, I, my reflex was to punch him in the face, <laughs> and I I didn't, but like it flashed through my mind like I want to punch you in the face, 
which is obviously not an acceptable reaction in almost any scenario. But, like, you know, that was just what went through my mind. And, it's you know, so I didn't punch him. Instead, I stood up and said, I got to go. Like, I got to go. I cannot, I can't be here. This is not for me. And so, um, where, where, what were we talking about? Oh, being lumped in. I mean, yeah, you know what? The only, the only place where that has bothered me is, um, Josh Allen. Because the station went haywire when Josh Allen got picked. And I, I came in the day after the draft and said, Hey, look, man, isn't, isn't one of the key principles of our show when we talk about the NFL draft and specifically drafting quarterbacks is that nobody knows who the good ones are? So if nobody knows who the good ones are, how the hell are we also sure that this guy isn't a good one? Right. And so, like, from the very start, I was, I don't know, I wouldn't say pro-Josh Allen. I mean, but I was real about it. And I definitely was not freaking out about it. And the way things have gone over the course of a few years, the station definitely is perceived as having all freaked out when Josh Allen got drafted. And I still will fight that fight and defend myself and say, I was not. I'm not going to produce tape for you, but I'm telling you, I was not upset about it in the least. I didn't know if he was going to be good, and I still really don't, but I was not freaking out, so stuff it. You know, <laughs> um, that's that's one instance where I got sort of swept up in a tsunami of opinion that was really not mine. But by association, I just, you know, it's a lot easier uh, to avoid nuance and just sort of, you know, club us all over the head with with the same baseball bat. Yeah. Now you've been on the air for quite a while. You've had an opportunity, I'm sure, to talk to many people who have been a couple of your favorite guests that you've ever had the opportunity to chat with on the air. Oh, I hate this question, Pat. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. I'm, uh, I'm not, I'm just not, you need Mike. You need Mike. I need Mike. Can I call Mike? I need Mike to remind me of people. Like I just, <laughs> I forget, I forget, <laughs> I forget stuff. I just don't, we, we just, it's very recent, um, but we just had Al Michaels on, um, which was incredible. Like, that just presented itself out of nowhere. You know, sometimes you get someone who's that level of famous, and they might agree to do something, but they don't really invest in it and give you a good conversation. Right. It's just, uh, okay, the guys in Buffalo want me to talk for 10 minutes, all right, whatever. He was great. I mean, he was great. He he was solidly there for the conversation and gave thoughtful answers and was I mean just just a great just a great experience. Um, like so that stands out. Uh, another very recent one. Um, I had Daniel Carcillo on. I don't know if you are aware of the work he's doing uh, within hockey about uh, concussion awareness and CTE and different ways uh, to treat. Um, but I had him on a few weeks ago on a day Mike was off, and I just reached out to him on Twitter to find out that he followed me. So I sent him a DM and said, like, would you, you know, would you like to come on and talk about what you're doing? And that was one of these conversations. I, it went like 35 minutes, 
and he was incredible. And it was so it was one of the most powerful experiences I've ever had on the radio. I'm 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 sorry that Mike wasn't there uh, to experience it with me, um, but it was it, it was amazing. Um, like for me as a broadcaster, listening to this guy talk so so informatively about subjects that are so important and so heavy. Uh, and it was really, really powerful. Um, you know, all time highlights from back in the day. Like I remember talking to Richard Petty, uh, once that was with Bowerly. That was a long time ago, but I, you know, I had Richard Petty models when I was a little kid. Like I, I love, I, so like getting to talk to the King was, was pretty great. Um, you know, meeting some guys that you liked when you were younger. Like we met Dan Pastorini at a Super Bowl back in the early 2000s. Uh, that was really cool. You know, there've been a lot. There've been a lot uh, of of notables um, as far as like regular guys go. I mean, Rob Ray has turned into uh, just a tremendous regular guest. We talked to him at four o'clock every game day, and those conversations the last few years have out of necessity oftentimes veered away from talking about the team uh, because, you know, that subject is, has been a dead horse for a few years here. Um, so just sort of talking to Rob about coaching kids uh, in the game and like different stuff um, that he does is is really fun. Like I, I would put Rob right up at the top of the list of uh, of guests, even though he's you know on you know twice a week. Uh, so I don't know. I I, I I took a swing at it. I hope that <laughs> no, that's good. That's that's good. Do you ever have any like pinch me moments? Like you talked about growing up as a kid. Like say a Danny Gare fan. Has there ever been anyone that you've had an opportunity to meet as an adult that you really idolized as a kid? Like for an example, with me with this show. I grew up thinking I was going to be the next great point guard. And I idolized guys like Kenny Anderson and Rod Strickland. And I've been fortunate to have both of them on the show. They've been pinch me moments, but like actually meeting someone in person. Have you ever had one of those moments? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I had moments all the time. Like we, <laughs> we've, um, we've developed over the years, a relationship with Thurman Thomas. Mm-hmm. And um, so he'll just, he'll, he'll just randomly text one of us or both of us during a show or at some other time. And every time that happens, like I, I look at whatever he's telling me, usually he's just kind of ragging on us, but um, like I look at it and then I think pro football hall of famer Thurman Thomas just texted me. Yeah. Uh, and I just think that that's, you know, super cool. You know, others, I, I, I got, I was lucky enough to play golf with Rick Martin one time, like in the, in the, you know, mid, mid two thousands, I guess it would be before, well, before I started working with Mike. So it's early two thousand. Um, it was when I was working with Kevin Sylvester, Kevin and I worked after, after Bowerly moved to WBEN, Kevin came in and I worked with him for a little while before I moved to afternoon, but we got invited to play golf and we got, you know, we played and, you know, Rick, I, you know, Rick, got, I mean, God rest his soul. Uh, great golfer. I'm terrible. Um, so we're riding around for 18 holes and he's putting up with me just, you know, I mean, I am just, I'm just wrecking the place. <laughs> um, but we got done and, you know, usual senior, 
you're, you're, you're dropping your clubs off, you know, putting them in the car or whatever. And Rick pulls up, uh, Kevin and I are in the parking lot next to each other, putting our stuff away. Rick pulls up and rolls the window down and says, Hey, what are you guys, what are you guys doing now? Uh, and we look at each other like, um, I don't know what, why he's like, you want to go grab a beer? Like, do I want to go grab a beer with Richard Martin? Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess that would be okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, 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 I can put off whatever it is I have to go do right now, which is nothing. Didn't he used to crush the ball? You said you played with him. Didn't he like crush the ball a million uh, miles off the tee? I kind of remember that. He was just a great all around golfer. I mean, he, you know, like he, I mean, I think he might've been like a scratch. I mean, he was great. Um, so he did everything well and like that, that's an all time, you know, moment that, you know, and, and I, I mean, that was a fantastic night. Uh, you know, we went out and, um, you know, he didn't talk about hockey really at all. It was just, we just sat for a few hours and just talked about, you know, his business ventures and just life. And, um, that's a great memory. I want you to give me a take on Paul Hamilton. I think he's a guy that's terrible at Twitter. I bet you that he wishes he didn't have to use it. Unfortunately, at least on Twitter anyway, he's no more for blocking people than anything else. But I'll tell you what, he's a great hockey guy. I've had him on this show and I was utterly, and I mean blown away, good guy. And I'll tell you what, I've done, this is what, 196 episodes. Favorite episode I've ever done was my interview with Paul Hamilton of every show I've ever done. I was just really fascinated by him. Yeah, no, I, I, I think very highly of Paul. Uh, I, I admire him. Uh, I respect him. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I like him. I like working with him, but you know, as a, as a resource, as a friend, he's, he's, he's fantastic. He's a fantastic guy. Um, and, uh, you know, have, uh, have really, I feel like I've learned a lot over the years about not only, uh, hockey, but doing this job and what a job like his is like. Um, I've, I've gotten a lot out of, out of, uh, my relationship with Paul. Uh, as we start to wind down here, I want to spend a couple of minutes talking about your kid, Owen, very good high school hockey player. He's a goalie. People who follow you on, on Twitter or listen to the show, they know about him, but maybe a few people out there don't. From my understanding too, a late bloomer from my, he, like he, he didn't start out as a goalie and he wasn't particularly very good at a very young age either, was he? No, no, he, no, he was, he was, you know, pretty much a clown show, uh, <laughs> for, uh, <laughs> for, for, for a few years. Um, yeah, no, it, it didn't get, uh, well, let me see. I mean, he's, he's playing at Nichols now. Um, it's a senior year. Uh, last year he played with the Regals 16U. So the year before that was Regals 15U. So that was his first year of high level, like triple a hockey. Um, up to then he was just, we were playing with the Bisons and he got as far as like Bantam double a, uh, with the Bisons. And that like, that was a, it was a great experience, but yeah, he had, he had a lot of catching up to do. And, you know, he was also giant at a very young age. So he had to learn, uh, how to use, that size and develop, you had to develop the strength to be able to move a six foot, seven inch frame around, <laughs> around the goal crease, yeah. you know? Um, so, uh, you know, he's, he's done, he's done a lot of work 
you know, any, anybody who gets to even the level that he and his teammates are at now have done a lot of work. Um, and, you know, we'll see where it goes from here, but we're, we're all, you know, fiercely proud of, of the work he's done just to get to this point. It, it, it did not seem like a real thing until really a couple of years ago that he was sort of pursuing this. Um, so, um, he was drafted in the OHL, correct? Yeah that, yeah, that was out. Of, that was when he was, well, he was 16 by the time he got drafted, but he was, he was on a 15 U team at the time. And, um, yeah, that was, um, that was when it got real. Um, I guess it's like he got drafted and then not only did he get drafted, like we went for, they had a development camp in Toronto in the spring of that year. He, he did well at the camp. Um, but it wasn't like, um, you know, he was some standout or anything. And, um, you know, we left that and they invited him to come to training camp for real in the, in late summer up in Sault Ste. Marie. And we said, sure, we did that. And we, we went there and he made the team, which, you know, just absolutely blew my mind. But like they saw all this work he'd done, even from development camp was like the end of May. And now we're at the end of August and he had like just the size of his thighs had grown from working out. And like his conditioning was just off the charts from where he'd been a few months earlier. And, uh, you know, he performed, you know, very well in camp and they offered him a spot on the team. Um, and that was just not, I mean, we did not see that coming at all going up there. Um, you know, quick aside, my, my boss, Alan Davis, he played like junior B hockey in Nova Scotia as a, as a teenager. So he's, he's like, he's big into hockey. And it's great. Believe me doing this with Owen, uh, to have a boss who's very supportive of hockey, uh, endeavors, because, you know, there's a lot of flexibility that can be needed. And, and Alan's been great with me, but he, for like a few weeks leading up to us going to Sault Ste. Marie that year for training camp. Every day he'd say, what are you going to do when they, when he makes the team? What are you going to do? When he, and I'd be like, he's not making the team, Alan. He's There's going to be 10 goalies there and eight of them are going to be older than him. And like, just forget it. He's not making an OHL team. And you know, the next day I'd walk in and I'd be like, what are you going to do when he makes the team? And he kept asking. Me. So like that happened. And I called Alan from the hotel when they offered Owen a spot. And I told him, and I'll never forget, he was just, he just laughed. There was like this uh, unbelievable cackling. Like he just, he was like, I was right. I told you, I told you, <laughs> I knew it. So that, that was a, that was a, that was a, a, a crazy experience. But I, I give Owen uh, a lot of credit. Like he right away, like we walked out of a meeting where they offered him a spot. And he said to me, I, I don't want to do it, Dad. I want to try to go to college. I don't want to, I don't want to do it. And I, I was like, I mean, are you sure? <laughs> you know, yeah. like, this is, this is a really, you know, this is make sure you sit with it and think about it. So ultimately, like he said, no, but they, they wanted him so much that they sent us home and said, take a few days once you get back to Buffalo We'll leave you on the roster for now, but 
you know, obviously you're not signing. Don't, you know, there's nothing to worry about um, from an eligibility standpoint, but, you know, sit with it and think about it. And, you know, we went home and Owen just never wavered. He was like, I don't want to do it. So we ultimately told them, you know, we weren't going to do it. Um, and then this year we didn't go to training camp because he had Nichols training camp going on. So, you know, the door, I think, you know, I talked to them and they, they, they've come to see him play this year. And I, I think the door is still open. If, you know, we ended up feeling like that was the best path at this point, but so far, like Owen is thinking about playing somewhere else next year, junior hockey, either junior A in Canada or somewhere in the United States, the USHL or the NAHL. Like he's hopeful that he's going to land a spot somewhere because you go to the OHL, you're essentially turning pro and there's no opportunity to play college hockey after that. You, you've made your decision. You're a professional now at 16. And that was uh, very sudden and just was not for him. So, you know, I, I, I respected, I didn't have to talk him out of it. Right. Right. Um, he, he decided completely on his own. Like, this is not for me. If I, if I can use this to try to get some help for college um, and, and experience something that we wouldn't find attainable um, for our family otherwise, he, he wants to do that. So that's what he's striving towards at this point. It's got to be an exciting time for him, the whole family, obviously yourself. You're a big sports fan at heart. I think, you know, his father's. We kind of live a little bit through our child when they play sports. I'm down here in Florida, and my son is a high school football player and you're ready going in his senior year. He just played in a big junior showcase game at Hard Rock Stadium. And kind of the same pinch me thoughts were going through my head. Do you ever envision someday daydreaming? And it's not to put pressure on your child whatsoever because that would be unfair. But do you ever close your eyes even for a second and say, man, it would be really cool someday if my kid was playing in the NHL and I was talking about him on the air? You know what I'm saying? You ever think about that? <laughs> I, uh, I definitely, I've had the thought, uh, I, I don't think I would want to talk about him on the air. Like I, like in, in that, like that would just be weird. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's, you, you try not to set the goal, you know, too far out there, but I mean, I mean, who's bullshitting who? Like, we know, we know, we know what he's doing. We know what he's hoping for. Right. Uh, uh, but I think you can't really, I think it's very important once you get into this to take incrementally the steps that are necessary and not get too wrapped up in what, you know, the NHL draft or like what, what, you know, what that's, what this is going to be like, or that's going to be like, because there's too much work to be done and you have to respect each level you get to um, and do the work to earn the right to go play at the level after that. And so, you know, we've, we've done, I think a, a good job with him uh, and ourselves of sort of keeping, you know, keep, keeping the picture in the window that should be in the window, which is, where are you going to go play junior hockey next year? Um, let's find the best opportunity to do that because, you know, that likely will lead to the next opportunity, which is college. 
and somewhere in between there, maybe you'll get noticed enough uh, by an NHL team that you know that dream will come true. But to me, it's not. It's it can't be the thing you're focusing on. Like frankly, if if we were, he'd be in Sault Ste. Marie playing there right now, right? Because that was the fastest, most direct path to that, and uh, he chose a different path. So, you know, this this June is he's eligible for the draft uh, in the NHL. Um, he's been listed on like one scouting service, one list, uh, the sporting news puts out. So he's been ranked. Um, but I'm still operating under the premise that it's unlikely to happen this year. So let's just keep our head down and keep working. Well, it's Owen's responsibility and your responsibility to treat things as step-by-step. It's not mine. So let's just say someday down the road, Owen Parker is the goaltender for the Buffalo Sabres. Is Chopin the Bulldog going to become Chopin Nate Gary? Because you won't be able to be on the air for three hours if your son's playing for them. <laughs> yes, I think, I, I think if that happens, I am going... Yeah, let's make a pact right now, Patrick. We'll announce it on this show. If my son uh, reaches that level... I'm done with, I'm done, I'm done with the afternoon drive show. It's, it's over. Uh, is I'm just not, there's just no way that, you know, uh, I'd be able to, I mean, come on. I, I don't even think the station would want me doing it. Uh, it, it just, it just, it's not the way it would work. You know I mean? I, I was here, uh, in Ryan Miller's heyday. I know how that went. Like I can't, I, it's, just, it's not, it's not functional. So, uh, yeah, no. No, I, I, I'm announcing my retirement if uh, Owen uh, makes the Sabres somehow. Uh, yeah, oh, that, that's crazy. It's crazy talk. All right, well, you hear it here first. <laughs> Last couple things here. You live in North Buffalo. I've lived in North Buffalo before. What is it about North Buffalo that you love? I loved living in North Buffalo. And when I come back home in the summertime, I still love going to as many places on Hurdle Avenue and hanging out as possible. Yeah. Um... I'll tell you, man, we, we, we moved here. My wife grew up on the West side. I lived on the West side. Me mostly, too. Um, when, when I was, you know, I, I, you know, on my own apartments and whatnot. Um, I didn't know a lot about North Buffalo. Uh, I didn't spend a lot of time there. Um, like outside of going to Costa's on hurdle, like there's was not a lot on hurdle, uh, for me, uh, as a, as a younger man. Um, <clears throat> but, the houses are great. The neighborhood is, I mean, I live on a busy corner, so I'm not exactly in a quiet spot, but it's, it's quiet. And the proximity to the park and the zoo, like when the kids were little, it was great. Um, you know, my parents would come over to watch them and take them to the zoo. Eventually I started running. Uh, I can't anymore. My knees are shot at least as of now. Um, but the proximity to the park helped me get as healthy as I maybe have ever been, uh, about 10 years ago. Cause I just decided I wanted to do something, uh, about, you know, my overall health and I found running and I don't know that I would have chosen that without the park being there. So, I mean, the park is just a fantastic feature to have, um, you know, cause unlike a lot of suburban homes. I don't have a big backyard. Uh, I don't have a driveway 
well, I have a driveway, but I don't have a garage. I don't, you know, there's not, there's not anywhere to go play catch. Right. right. So, you know, the park is where we went to do that. You know, the, the, I live across the street from a church parking lot. Uh, that's where the kids learn to ride their bikes. Owen learned to pitch out there and Leo learned to play baseball out there. Owen's little brother. So it's been great, but I honestly just sort of, we sort of fell into it. We, we did not, I did not seek out a house in North Buffalo or Parkside. It just sort of happened that a house that had everything we wanted was available at the right price. And it happened to be in, in Parkside. So that's where we ended up. Just like your wife, I grew up in the West side too. Uh, holds a special place in my heart for sure. I know you're a big music guy. I can't talk music with you because your taste in music are way more diverse and eclectic than mine will ever be. I'm just your corny mainstream music guy, past and present music. I do. I just want to ask you, how much does music mean to you? When I read your Twitter, it makes me think that music's a pretty significant part of your life. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to, excuse me, I don't want to exaggerate and say it's everything, but uh, it's, we are a very uh, musical family, I guess. Like, my wife doesn't play or sing any instrument, or play any instruments or sing, but we enjoy going to see bands live, whether they're right. yeah. uh, our friends, uh, Leroy Towns here uh, in Buffalo, or the Steam Donkeys who played at our wedding, uh, or it's, um, you know, big, big, you know, bigger shows, national touring artists, whatever. Like we, we go to music, uh, frequently, you know, I, I, I started playing guitar about 10 years ago, uh, just sort of taught myself and eventually, um, our, our boy Leo has become really quite good and even got, uh, admitted to performing arts high school here in Buffalo uh, so, I mean, he plays, I mean, he plays the guitar every day, um, in school and at home, uh, it's become a real passion for him. And frankly, before he started playing the guitar, he found school to be a real struggle. Um, and I think he's one of these kids, uh, and I'm positive that there are thousands of them, uh, here in the city and millions of them across the country that, like the light for learning went on because of music and his grades just got exponentially better uh, when he invested in music and learning to play the guitar. Like I, I think learning to play the guitar taught him the discipline to learn algebra uh, and uh, earth science. You know what I mean? Yeah. So in that way, it means an awful lot to us. Last question here, and then I'll let you go. Lots of sports fans and just people in general like listening to you. I'm sure some of them are listening to this podcast today, and maybe one of them would like to get in the sports talk show radio someday. What's the best advice that you'd be able to give them? Uh, well, you got to get in it. So you got you got to find your way into a gig. Uh, it's the oldest story in the world. I mean, I started as an intern, and, you know, so go to school. <laughs> get an internship and try to make the most of it. Um, I mean, it's a tough, there's not, there's not a lot of room for growth. Um, you know, like I've been in this job a long time and 
I'm sort of in the way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, like in a way, right. uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a roadblock. So, you know, that can be challenging. Like we've had lots of talented people have come through and worked with us or for us that had to leave and go get, re- you know, regular jobs, I guess, um, just because it wasn't sustainable. Um, so you gotta know that going in, like it's, it's challenging, but I think just like anything that's performance based, if you have the goods, you'll get where you want to be. You know, that doesn't mean everybody who's talented will make it, but if you're good, you have a shot at it. So the only way to to do it is to get in it. Uh, and that means part-time job internship, um, you know, go to school for broadcasting. I think that helps. <laughs> I don't think we take on a lot of interns that are math majors. Um, so, you know, that's it. I mean, you, you gotta, you gotta be in it. I appreciate you bulldog very much for doing this podcast. Thanks for taking the time. I'm happy to do it, Patrick. Hope, uh, hope you're happy with the results. That interview was brought to you by Audimute. For nearly two decades, Audimute has set the standard for providing cutting-edge acoustic treatments for recording and sound environments. From your home studio to commercial settings such as the office, restaurants, gyms, and auditoriums, Audimute is the best sound treatment company out there. That's because they refuse to compromise on the quality of their products and service ever. Easy, green, and affordable. My home studio has Audimute acoustic panels all over, and the difference has literally been night and day. Look, don't just throw a foam on your walls. You can get it real cheap from Amazon. It might look pretty. It might look the part, but it's not going to help out your sound at all. Visit Audimute.com for info and deals, including a free room analysis and the ability to speak with an acoustic specialist. Do your sound and do the people who hear it a very big service. Go visit Audimute.com. All right, folks, that is going to do it. Two-year anniversary episode of this podcast. Awesome. Speaking of awesome, I really, really want to thank the Bulldog, Chris Parker from WGR. Really so pumped to have him on. Very big guest for me personally. I've been a fan of his for a very long time. I wanted to have him on the podcast for a very long time. And when I looked at the calendar and saw the two-year anniversary coming up i said you know what this is the right time to go out and get them so thank you very much bulldog that was a really good interview great guy also want to thank all of you for listening i know i say it every week and it's cliche but i really mean it now more than ever on a two-year anniversary of this podcast you guys out there listening are the reason why i continue to pump out these episodes two times a week it's been a lot of fun fun journey One that is hopefully just getting started. I appreciate each and every single one of you so much. I really do. If you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, please go ahead and do that right now. You can catch us on Apple, on Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are found. New episodes every Tuesday, every Friday. When you subscribe, you're going to get them first. And of course, follow me on Twitter at Pat Moran Tweets. That's where I'm always at. Constantly tweeting out podcast updates, upcoming guests, 
promos, prize pack giveaways, just bannering with fans going back and forth. Again, I'm there all the time. You can tweet at me. I'll always get back to you. Thank you so much for listening. Seriously, it means a lot to me. Really does. Have a good rest of the week, and I'll be back. New episode on Friday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.